Bible today, I invite you to open up to the New Testament book of Romans. We'll be in Romans chapter 8 today. Romans chapter 8, and uh, we'll start in verse 26. Uh, Romans chapter 8 and verse 26. And I want to talk to you a little bit today about glory, or sorry, groans, grace, and glory. Groans, grace, and and glory. Now, if you're here last week, some of this may seem kind of familiar because last week I talked about glory, and I was also in Romans 8 then. And uh, I, I assure you, I'm not going to preach the same sermon as I did last week, as tempting as that is. I'm not going to preach it again, um, but it's, it's, it is going to have kind of a similar theme because Paul in Romans chapter 8, we looked at the first few verses uh, that, uh, that he talked about some of this stuff, and he's just continuing. His same thoughts, and so it's going to have a similar theme as last week, but it, it does have a much different focus. Um, last week, if, if you didn't get a chance to come because of the weather or whatever it was, just to kind of fill you in, Paul said that uh, that all of creation is groaning because all of creation is in bondage to sin and decay and corruption, and so all of creation is groaning, but not just all of creation. Christians are groaning as well because we're also affected by sin, and we're just longing for that day when God will... Uh, take us on to heaven when his glory will be revealed. And, and he says the, the glory that we'll take part in is so amazing that no matter what hardship we face down here, it's not even it's going gonna, it's gonna to pale in comparison to what we're going to experience. In fact, what we experience now and all the hardships and as terrible as those things are and, and sometimes as terrible as they seem to be at the time, uh, they don't even... Uh, they don't even deserve to be compared to the glory that we're going to experience. That's what Paul says. Now today is kind of the next part of Paul's thinking here. And, and what he reveals to us today is not only does creation groan, and not only do uh, Christians groan, but also the Holy Spirit groans, but for much different reasons. Now I, I hope that as we work our way through this passage that it will comfort you. Maybe you're going through a, a rough patch in life. Hopefully this will bring comfort to you. Uh, maybe... Maybe you're kind of discouraged in your prayer life. You've been, you know, sometimes we pray and it seems like our, our prayers don't get any higher than the ceiling, right? And, and it's very frustrating sometimes. We say, well, why pray? It doesn't seem like God's here. And I, it doesn't seem like my prayers are going anywhere. Maybe, maybe you don't have confidence in your prayer life. My, my, my hope is that as we read through this and, and as you consider what Paul says, that you'll get, you'll get some confidence because... God helps us out an awful lot, especially when it comes to our prayer lives. So if you found Romans chapter 8, please stand with me in honor of God's word. And we're going to pick up reading in verse 26. Paul says, In the same way the Spirit also helps our weakness, for we do not know how to pray as we should, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And he who searches the hearts knows what the mind of the Spirit is, because he intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. And we know that God causes all things to work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to become conformed to the image of his Son, so that he would be the firstborn among many brethren. And these whom he predestined, he also called. And these whom he called, he also justified. And these whom he justified, he also glorified. Thank you. you. May be seated. Now Paul starts talking out, 
and uh, starts out by talking in, in verse 26 about the Spirit and how He helps Christians. And He says that the Spirit helps our weakness. Verse 26, it hel- He helps our weakness. Now, we don't give this in some of the translations because some of the translations render verse 26 weaknesses. And we might think of that as in, oh, well, we're pretty strong most of the time, but sometimes we go through a period of, of, uh, of weakness, maybe a time where we're, we're kind of feeble when we're not feeling well, when we're, we're down and out. But most of the time we're doing pretty good. What he says, in the original language, when Paul wrote this, he used weakness in the singular. Now, that may not seem like that big of a deal, but, but I think what he's saying here is that all that we have is weakness. It's not like, oh, well, I'm big and bad, and I, I, can, I can whip the world most of the time, but, but sometimes I, I get kind of down. That's not what he's saying. What he's saying is all we have is weakness. In other words, every moment of every day, we're weak. Every moment of every day, we need the Lord's help. We need the Spirit's help. All the time, we're feeble. We're weak. We're infirm, as it were. And, and, and sometimes, and maybe you've noticed this in your own life, Sometimes we get kind of puffed up with pride, don't we? We start thinking, well, things are going well for me. I haven't really been praying as much as I should. I haven't been uh, reading my Bible as much as I should. I haven't been going to church as much as I should. Whatever it is, and, but things are still going well for me. Maybe I can just take this all on my own. But then it doesn't take too long. We end up falling into sin. We end up uh, messing up real bad. And we realize we're really puffed up for no reason. We realize that we really do have a bunch of weakness. In fact, that's all that we have. And so when Paul says he helps us in our weakness, he's saying, man, we need some help all the time. And that word help, it has the idea of come along, coming alongside a person who's bearing up under a weight and giving them a hand. It's like if you can imagine seeing somebody trying to carry a great big box and you see them and you say, hey, let me give you a hand with that, and you grab the other end, that's lending them some aid. Well, that's what the Spirit does. When we're uh, bearing up under some load, He lends us some aid. He helps us in our time of weakness. So here's what Paul's saying. In our every moment of every day, we need His help. We need God's help. In every moment of every day, the Spirit is there helping us bear up under whatever it is that we're facing because we're, we're, we're weak not just when we feel weak, but we're weak all the time. So he says the Spirit helps us in our weakness, and then he gives us a specific instance of when he helps. Verse 27, he says that he helps us when we pray. He helps us when we pray. Now, why, according to verse 27, why, or 26, sorry, why does he help us when we pray? Because many times, verse 26, we don't know how to pray as we should. We don't know how to pray as we should. Now, there are all kinds of reasons that we don't know how to pray as we should. Uh, one of the reasons that we don't know how to pray as we should is because things seem kind of uncertain. Maybe you've been in a, in a circumstance like this. You, you're at a point and you know there's something to pray about. And you want to go to God and say, God, I want you to do this or I want you to do that. Please do it. And, and, and you go to God and, and you want to bring it to Him. But the thing is, from our point of view... The future is so uncertain. We say, well, if, God go, if, if I ask God to do this, then this might happen, and then this and that, and we, and we work out this whole scenario in our mind this way. But then we say, but if I ask God to do that, 
And then we work out this other scenario. And then we say, oh, but what if it's none of those? Maybe it's this other thing. And, and I don't have any idea what could happen there. And we don't know what to pray. We don't know what to ask God to do. And so Paul says sometimes we don't know uh, what to pray, but also sometimes even if we had an idea about what to pray, sometimes we just don't have the words. You know, sometimes words are, are very, uh, very weak things. And sometimes we and we just can't even uh, articulate what we want God to do because maybe the, the rug's just been pulled out from under us or whatever it is, and we just go and we just sit before God. Have you ever done that? You, you go and you want to pray, but you don't have any idea what to do, what to say, and you just say, I don't know, God. You know my heart. Here's my situation. Here's my pain. Here's whatever it is. I don't even know what to say. And Paul says... Many times, we don't know what we should be praying. And in those times, the Spirit helps us when we pray. It reminds me of this story I read a number of years ago. I think I've shared it before, but I read about a man who was out walking in the woods. Went for a stroll, and he was out there, and he heard a young child's voice. So that's kind of weird. Hear a kid out here, and it just kept going on and on and on. And so he began to follow the sound of this kid's voice and, and found a kid sitting on a tree stump. And he's just saying the alphabet over and over and over again. And he said, kid, what are you doing? The kid said, I'm praying. The man said, pray, and you're just saying the alphabet. He said, well, I don't know what to say to God, so I'm just saying the letters and letting him put them in the right order. And you know, that's, sometimes that's not a bad idea. We don't know what to pray, and we should just let God put things in the right order. And that's kind of what the Spirit does in our life, isn't it? Verse 26 says that He intercedes for us, even, even when we have those times when we can't articulate uh, what we're wanting God to do, the Spirit intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. Now, I love this. It says that He intercedes for us. That word intercedes is going to somebody on somebody else's account. Maybe you've had times when, when you were a kid and mom interceded to your father on your behalf. She, was, she interceded for you. Now, don't be whooping him so much. He, he, he didn't know what he was doing. He's just trying to do what he saw you do, whatever it is. He, she, she interceded for you. That's what the Spirit does. Not, not that God's sitting up there waiting to whoop us, but you know what I'm saying. He, he goes to the Father on our behalf. And here's what's awesome. Look at verse 34 if you have your Bible open. It says, Who is the one who condemns? Christ Jesus is he who died. Yes, rather, who is raised, who sits at the right hand of God, who also intercedes for us. Isn't that amazing? When we pray, we have two members of the Trinity. We have the, we have the Holy Spirit interceding for us, verse 26. And then verse 34 which we didn't read today, but Jesus is interceding for us too. I think that's pretty incredible that, that the whole Trinity is involved in our prayer lives. And, and so, so what is the Spirit saying to the Father? Well, I think a lot of times when Jeff prays, he's saying, he doesn't know what he's talking about. Here's what, here's what, you really, what he's really wanting. Here's what he really needs. Oh, there he goes again. 
He's been praying this a whole bunch. He's just miss, missing it. Here's what, here's, what, here's what needs to happen. The Bible tells us that one of the keys to having our prayers answered, this, this is told to us in 1 John, is that we pray according to God's will. The Bible says that we have this confidence that if we pray anything according to His will, He hears us and He, he answers. And look at what... Look at what the Bible says. It says that he intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And look, look at this. The Spirit always intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. So even when we mess up in our prayers and we don't know what to pray, the Spirit's always there. He's got our back, so to speak. He's the one that's there. He's praying for us. He's interceding for us when we don't know what we should be saying. So get this picture. All the time, we're weak. All the time we need God's help. And all the time the Spirit's right there helping us bear up under whatever it is we're facing. And when we're praying and we don't know what to say, when we don't know what we should be doing, He's interceding for us with the Father. So you say, well, I don't have any confidence whenever I pray. I don't know what to pray. Have some confidence because the Spirit's helping you. Even when we don't feel it, even when we don't know it, He's right there helping us out. So we have the groaning of the Spirit. Next, I want you to see the grace of God. The grace of God, verses 28 and following, Paul says that in all of our lives, whether it's in the good times or the bad times, the ups, the downs, we have all those times in life, and sometimes in very short order, uh, God is at work all around us. Now, he gives us a verse in verse 28, a verse that we love to quote the first part of, and that is, we know that God causes all things to work together for good. And that's what we usually stop at, isn't it? And we like to cut that down in our minds to just apply a pious platitude. And we kind of massage it just a little bit. So then instead of saying what it actually says, when we start saying it, whenever we start thinking it, we start saying things like, it'll all work out. Or maybe we'll say, well, it's all part of God's plan. You ever been going through a tough time? Well, many Christian come pat you on the back and say, "Buck up! It all must be part of God's plan. It'll all work out." And sometimes you just want to you want to give them the right hand of fellowship, right? <laughs> Wham! That's what you want to do because sometimes that's not what we want to hear. It's not what we need to hear sometimes. And I want you to look at what the verse says in verse 28. It does not say that all things come from God. If, if it did, that would mean that sometimes God was the source of evil, the source of sin. That's not the case. Having this view that everything comes from the hand of God and that He causes all things to, that, that do happen, that doesn't take into account our sin, the sin of others, Satan, we just live in a fallen world. Now, is God in control? Of course He is. But He is not the direct cause of everything that happens. Also, uh, I want you to notice in verse 28, not everybody can claim this promise. There are some people who go out and they live like the devil, live like they know they're not supposed to. Maybe they, maybe they never made a profession of, of faith. They don't claim to be a Christian. And something bad happens and, and, and people will pat them on the back and say, Oh, God causes all things to work together for good. That's not what it says. It's not for everybody. Look at verse 28 again. And we know that God causes all things to work together for good. To who? 
those who love God, to those who are called according to His purpose. Now, I just want you to understand, when it talks about being called, that's, that's deeper than just that outward call of invitation. I can invite people to respond to the gospel, and that's a call. But the calling that, that Paul's talking about is called the effectual call of God. And this is where God successfully uh, calls them to repentance and faith, and they respond with repentance and faith. They're saved, in other words. And so what he's saying is, this is a promise for Christians only. So this is a promise for Christians. And, and what he says is, there, there can be some good that comes out of the pain. And I've, I've noticed in my own life, I've noticed in the lives of people I've talked to, the pain is hard to go through. When it doesn't seem like there's a purpose, when there's no good that seems like it could come out of it, then it's a lot worse. And what Paul is saying here in verse 28 is that there, there is some bad stuff that happens, legitimately bad things that happen. And even though God may not have caused it specifically, He can still work in the good and the bad alike to make us more like Christ. Now, I've been watching a show here recently. Well, there's just been one episode on on, on this uh, season. But it's on the History Channel called Forged in Fire. Has anybody ever seen that show? It's a knife-making competition, which I think is kind of interesting. Uh, I don't know why. I just like watching those guys. It, it's interesting to me to watch those guys take a, just a, a hunk of metal and heat it up and, and work it and, and turn it into something that's I mean, just incredible-looking. And maybe you know something about making knives. Maybe you've just seen old westerns with the blacksmiths, something like that. And what they do is they'll take this metal, and there'll be a, a forge, which is just a, a modern-day forge, is just a bit. They'll stick that piece of metal in there and get it red hot. And the old blacksmiths, you remember what they do? They they take it out with the tongs and put it on the anvil. They take a big old hammer and just beat the tar out of it, right? Well, today we've gotten uh, gotten more advanced, and so there is some of that that goes on. But now they have hydraulic presses and stuff, and really, as I as I read this text, I, I can't help but think of of these knife makers and, and and the blacksmiths. That's kind of what God does. He he will either bring some heat into our lives, or maybe he'll just allow some heat. And then he'll, he'll get to hammering on us. And he'll mold us and shape us to be, as, as Paul says, conformed to the image of the Son. He'll make us more Christ-like through the circumstance. Now some of us, like, like a chunk of metal, some of us are kind of hard, aren't we? Some of us are hard-headed. If you don't know if you are or not, ask your spouse. They can probably tell you. But some of us require a little bit hotter heat and a little bit harder pounding on with the hammer. But God can and will do what it takes. And, and what he'll do is he'll, he'll take those fires of adversity and he'll use that to mold us. And we as Christians, many times, we can look back at the time. It, it seems like there's no good that can come out of this. But sometimes maybe the next year, five years down the road, ten years down the road, we can look back and say, you know what? 
that was a bad circumstance. But it ended up turning out a lot better than what I could have thought. Or we look back and say, you know what? Here's where I was spiritually. But I came through that time. And it took me a while. God causes all things to work together for the good of those who love God and are called according to His purpose because God is, has predetermined, He's predestined that we're going to look like Jesus. We're going to be more Christ-like. Now, I want you to see at the very end of this text, uh, Paul ends with what's called the golden chain. And, and so we've had the groaning of the Spirit, the grace of God, now, I finally want you to see the glorification of the saints. The glorification of the saints. Now, each of these links in verse, uh, well, verse 29 and 30, each of these links is, is a part of salvation. Now, realize that salvation, and this, this text makes it very plain, salvation is holy from God. We don't contribute anything to salvation except our sin, which needs uh, salvation from but notice, notice the steps in verse 29. Well, actually, actually, uh, actually back up in verse 28. Oh, no, we'll start at verse 29. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to become conformed to the image of his son, so that he would be the firstborn among many brethren. Now, I just want to stop right there for a minute. We, we talk about the foreknowledge of God. What is that? Well, there's a sense... That this word foreknowledge is used in the Bible, which means that God knows what's going to happen before it ever happens. That's what foreknowledge literally means. For, before, and knowledge, knowledge beforehand. But many times, and it's used, uh, this is one of those cases, many times it's used more specifically to talk about a, a choice and, and a relation, well, I hesitate to use that word relationship. There's there's, there's something special. You see, in the Old Testament, he talks about how he, uh, he knew Israel and all these things. But I want you to notice in verse, verses 29 and 30 that he's, he's talking about more than just knowing events beforehand. Because, number one, it's not events that he foreknew, but what? People. And he doesn't just foreknow the whole human race, but a specific group of people, namely Christians. So there's, there, there's something special going on there in this foreknowledge. But also notice what it says. Um, those whom he foreknew, he predestined to become conformed to the image of his son. In other words, if you're a Christian today, God knew you before you were ever born, before the creation of the world, and he determined before all that happened that he was going to make you look like Jesus. Verse 30. And these whom he predestined, he also called, and again, we talked about that, how that's uh, talking about the effectual call of God, how he brings people to salvation. And these whom he called, he also justified. Now it talks about justification. That's where God declares the person not guilty. He acquits us. All the, all the penalty of the law that we had coming to us has been paid in full by Christ on the cross. He's, the Bible calls him the propitiation for our sins. That means that God's justice was satisfied. It, the wrath that we deserve was poured out on him. And those whom he justified, verse 30, he also glorified. He also glorified. Now, 
when it speaks of glorification, that speaks of the Christian's experience of glory in heaven. Now, I want you to just notice a couple things uh, just as we look at it in a broad sense. The first thing I want you to notice is in verse 30. He speaks of glorification in the past tense. Isn't that interesting? He doesn't say, and those whom he foreknew, he also predestined. Those whom he predestined, he also called. Those whom he called, he also justified. He doesn't say that. It says that they have been glorified. How do we how do we get these two things? We live in a fallen world. We're affected by sin. We sin on one hand, but then Paul talks in the past tense of the Christian being glorified. How do we make those? How, how does all that fit together? I think what Paul's saying is that it's such a sure thing. You can take it to the bank. There's no doubt. They can be talked about in the past tense. And, and you see that also in the, in the Old Testament. It's called the prophetic past tense. These things that haven't yet happened are spoken of in the past tense because as far as God's concerned, it's going to happen whether you like it or not. And what he's saying is those people whom he foreknew are going to get saved and those people whom he saved are justified and, and are one day going to go to heaven. It's guaranteed. You can take it to the bank. You can mark it down. If you're a Christian, you'll go to heaven. And the second thing I want you to notice is tied directly into that, and that is that not one of these folks was lost. Now, this golden chain cannot be broken. It starts out in eternity past when God foreknew us. And if you'll notice what Paul says, if a person is foreknown, they will be saved. And if they're saved, they will be justified. And if they're justified... They will be glorified. It's a golden chain. It can't be broken. So then the firmness of our salvation, the security that we have, is not based on merit. It's not based on how tightly we can hold on to God, but how tightly He can hold on to us. And isn't that what, what Jesus said in, in John chapter 10, I think it was? He said that all that the Father gives Him will come to Him, and, and he'll, he'll not... In other words, what he's saying is at the end of the day, at the end of the age, when we all stand before God, he's going to have a, tr- a perfect track record. He, there's not going to be one of us as Christians who has slipped through his fingers. There's an old commentator from way back in the day named Albert Barnes, and he had a great observation of this text. He said of this verse, For how would it be a source of consolation to say to them that whom God foreknew... He predestined, and whom he predestined he called, and whom he called he justified, and whom he justified might fall away and be lost forever. What he's saying is God's not going to save us and then drop us. And I'm thankful for that because there have been a lot of times whenever I haven't been doing what I'm supposed to be doing, but God hadn't let me go. And I, 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 can, I appreciate that so much. The God who began a good work in you, the Bible says, will we'll, we'll, we'll finish it. He started, he started when He drew you to salvation, and He's going to finish it when He brings you to heaven. He helps us in our weakness. He helps us in the midst of distress. In this, in this life that we're living, we need some help. We're weak. And the Spirit in those times, He intercedes for us. He strengthens us. He helps us bear up under whatever it is that we face. And when we don't know how to pray, 
He goes to the Father on our behalf. He always intercedes for us according to the will of God. And he helps us in the midst of our trials. But then Paul goes on to say that in the midst of those trials, God is at work somehow in some way to bring about our eternal good. Not for our ease, not for our comfort, but to make us look like Christ. Now I wonder, when was the last time you ever thanked God for that? Many times we say, oh God, help me get through. And maybe sometimes when he helps us get through, we might even say thanks. Thanks for helping me get through. A lot of times we're like those nine lepers who didn't come back to say thanks to Jesus. Sometimes we're like the one that did. But I wonder how many times we, when, when we're thanking God, we say, oh, and by the way, thanks for using that to make me more like you. You know, for a little while, I, I like to play around, do woodwork, and I put it in quotes, air quotes, because what I did was, I wouldn't call it woodwork, I just worked with wood. And you know, what I'd do is I'd take that old piece of wood, and I'd, I'd try, and I'd mess up, and I'd have to go and buy some more wood, and you know how that is. But before I'd finish it, I'd take some sandpaper. And I'd start out with some pretty rough grit. And if, if wood had feelings, I'm sure that 40 grit, or 80 grit, or whatever it is I'd use, even if you use you know, 32,000 grit, still producing some dust, isn't it? That means rubbing off some rough spots. And really that's what God's doing in our lives with, with the stuff that comes our way. Well, sometimes it's... It's too grit. I mean, it's just, and boy, the flying off. He's making this, he's working this over. And sometimes it's just a little fine detail work. But God's always in the process of, of shaping us and making us a little more like Christ. And how awesome is that? I'm glad we don't have to do that all on our own. And, and he can bring beauty from the ashes in some way. In some way. I don't, I don't know how he does it, but he does. And that's something to thank him for. And if you're a Christian, what better thing to thank him for than helping us when we don't pray as often as we should, when we don't pray and ask for the things that we should, when we pray and ask for the right things, but we do it for the wrong reasons. He's there helping us. And if nothing else, Maybe you're in the midst of something you just can't bring yourself to, to even thank God for that. You can always thank God for heaven. You can thank God that one of these days, if you're a Christian, you will go to heaven. Guaranteed, that's what Paul's talking about. If God foreknew you, you'll get saved, and if you get saved, you're going to heaven. You'll be glorified. And I said it, I think it was last week, sometimes the hope of heaven's all we got. And that's something to hold on to, something to thank God for. But maybe as I've talked about all this stuff, you've... You sit there and you knew that doesn't describe you a bit. Because you know that you're not a Christian. You know you've never repented of your sin. You've never professed Jesus in any way. All these things that we've talked about, with God working in 
working things out for our good, that doesn't apply to you. But the Bible says that if we'll repent of our sin and put our faith in Christ, that we'll be saved. If you've never done that, I, in the strongest possible terms, I encourage you, I implore you, Why don't you stand with me as the musician comes. And as you stand, I ask you to bow your heads and close your eyes. And just in this time, and with nobody looking around, again, I don't know. Maybe your life is full of uncertainty. Maybe you're going through a rough time. Times that we'll quote Romans eight twenty. Great time. You know what? God can use goodness and prosperity and the raises and and the health and the, the kids doing good in school. And he can use all those things just the same to make us like Christ. And I want to encourage you. No matter what what station you find your life in, whatever situation it is, to the best of your ability to trust Christ, to see you through it. Maybe you've got to keep doing it over and over again. That's all right. Maybe you just need to pause and tell God thank you for seeing you through Maybe, maybe you had a turning point in your life and God's seen you through it. Thank Him for the hope of heaven. Heavenly Father, Lord, we are so grateful that you don't just save us and leave us on our own. That even when we're unfaithful to you, you're always faithful to us. And you're faithful to yourself. And we thank you that, that you provide salvation when we don't deserve it. You walk with us through this life when we don't deserve it. You've promised heaven when we don't deserve it. And we're, again, we're thankful that you shower your grace upon us. Lord, thank you for getting us through the stuff that you've gotten us through. We could probably all write a book or a story and tell the tales of rough patches in our lives, and you've, you've been faithful. Thank you that you've not only gotten us through, that you've not only brought uh, some good out of it, maybe the, even good that we can see, but... In the process, you've made us more like Christ. Thank you that in our good times, you make us more like Christ. Lord, for that person maybe who's never accepted Christ, God, I pray that you'd help them see that uh, apart from you, they have no hope. And they'll respond in faith today. 
Lord, again, we thank you for your goodness. In Jesus' name, amen.